it out. So what's, what's the purpose of Bible study? To understand the Word of God, the nature of God. Excellent. What else? Nervous putting that hand up. To build a relationship with Christ? Excellent. What else? Study to show, show yourself approved, right? Like we have all these biblical admonitions to, to study Scripture, to study the Bible, and there are a lot of reasons and a lot of right answers for why we do that. I think for me, if you boil it all down, ultimately it's about being transformed into the image of Christ. Like, Yes, it develops this relationship, but that's, the, like, why do we need to develop a relationship with God and with Christ? Well, to become like Him, to become Christ-like. Um, and so, you know, our approach to Bible study should be one of, I expect to be transformed by this time together. It's important that we do it. It's important we be transformed to the image of Christ because He's given us a mission, a very important mission, the most important mission that there is, uh, the highest calling that there is, and that's to bear the name of Christ and to reflect Him among the nations, not just for our own personal salvation, but for his glory to be spread on the earth. Um, I think the church, like the things that we do, could be categorized in three ways. One, to glorify God. So we study scripture to be transformed to the image of Christ so that we can glorify God, to make his greatness known in our own lives and also to others. So that's kind of what we do in worship. We think about glorifying God. That's what we do on Sundays as we gather together. But it's also about loving one another in the brotherhood, uh, praying with each other, serving each other, loving one another. So we're equipped and we're transformed in the image of Christ to be able to love one another as we should. And then we're also called to bless the world. We're transformed into his image so that we can go out and bless others, to bless those who don't know Christ. And we can do that in so many ways. But that's the reason we are studying Scripture today. And so I hope in a small way our time together tonight will help us all to be transformed a little bit more into the image of Jesus and to be equipped to glorify God, love, love the brotherhood, and also bless the world through our acts of service and love. So if you're in the young adult class, this slide might look familiar. Uh, we went through a study of Titus, and uh, Titus is a great book not only for just us all, but especially for young people. I mean, Paul is an apostle. He's been to, Titus, or he's been to the island of Crete. He's left this young preacher. I mean, this guy's pretty young. I mean, probably, I mean, he could be late teens, 20s, maybe a little bit older than that. We're not exactly sure. But he has a lot on Titus' shoulders, and so he writes this letter to Titus to inform him about how he's to conduct his ministry in this place where really Christ is largely unknown. This was a largely pagan group of people. You had a, kind of some Jewish colonies and some Jewish background there, but a lot of it was just kind of Gentile uh, people. And so Paul writes this letter to Titus to equip him so that he can do the ministry God's called him to do on the island of Crete. But he's op his operating environment is a world that's very ungodly to a large degree. And so one of the things he has to equip Titus to do, and he charges Titus to equip Christians to do, is to figure out how do you do the Christian thing in an ungodly atmosphere? Like how do you exist as a Christian in your workplace, at school, in the market, when so many forces are at play that are dark and are ungodly. How do you do that? How do you do that well? So hopefully um, we can get a little bit of insight into what exactly that looks like here in Titus chapter 3. I'll give a little bit of a spoiler. Uh, we're going to read the text in just a moment, but I will say that kindness, biblical kindness, has a lot to do with that answer. 
And so with that in mind, with kind of that, uh, that thought in your mind, let's read our text before us, Titus 3, 1 through 8. So Paul writes to Titus, he says, Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. I think what Paul, um, oops. I think what Paul is getting at to a large degree is that kindness saves the world. Look at verse 4. It says when the, he, he draws specific attention to this attribute of God. He could have said a lot of things about God here, right? He could have talked about his love, which is connected to his kindness. He could have talked about his justice. He could have talked about a lot of things, but he draws attention to his kindness. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, both hand in hand, he saved us. God saves us by his kindness, by his grace, by his love. So no surprise that if God is, if that's God, that's how he saves the world, it logically follows that if we're to be like him, we're to call to embody that same kind of kindness. Easier said than done. And Titus is going to give us, or Paul's going to give us some things here in the book of Titus to help us understand this a little bit better. So we kind of read this text already. Just want to draw um, specific attention to a, a few things here. Oh, going way forward. They told me that up was down and down was up on this clicker, so I'm figuring that out in real time here. Bear with me. Okay. Let's see if it'll stay there. Nope. One, two. All right. Um, should give this to one of these guys who know how to operate the technology, because I certainly don't. Uh, so, so submission, obedience. So he talks about how do you relate to um, you know rulers, the government. So. Uh, and he also talks about not slandering anyone and avoiding fighting and being kind. So he says, he gives this list of things to avoid and also a positive thing to do. Always showing gentleness to all uh, people. So the reason he gives for this is for we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, uh, living in malice and envy. All right, so what do you see on this list here? Foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by passions, living in malice, envy, hateful, detesting one another. These are really symptoms of a, a heart that's not rooted in God, right? They're symptoms of a, of a deeper problem. 
But he doesn't just say that, yeah, the world's like that. He says, who was like that? We. Who's we? Like, yeah, the, you. Like, we as Christians were embodied these things. This was you before. This is your before picture. What's his point? If God showed kindness to us, if we were like that, how should we then act to people who are, maybe we would describe in those ways? Now, I don't know about you, but I find it sometimes difficult to deal with people who are foolish, who seem to have no regard for law, disobedient. They're living a world of lies. They live by lies. Their lives are, could be defined by following things that are untrue. They're enslaved to addiction. These aren't, this isn't an easy group of, of people. These aren't easy things to deal with. Living in malice and envy. I mean, this is a pretty dark list. They're hateful. Hearts are full of hate. Um, they detest people. Like, it's not easy to deal with that. But yet we're called to be kind. We're called to be kind. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our, our Savior. So he ties it all back to the works of God. He says, you as Christians have been saved, not, by any, not because you're great. He wants to quell any idea that we might have some kind of claim to moral superiority over the world around us. The last thing he wants is for Christians on the islands of Crete to think that they're better than the people they minister to. Now, they are holier, but it's not because they're so great. It's because God is great. It's because the Spirit has worked in them, because they've been converted, not according to their works, but according to what God has done in them and their submission to his will. So, just, a, just kind of a question. He saved us from what? What were we saved from? Death? What else? Saved from ourselves. And Merv, ourselves, led by the flesh, left to our own devices, lead to what kind of lifestyle? <laughs> Looks pretty familiar, right? It's like, that's the things that we've been saved from. If you would, uh, if you want to open your Bible here, if not, I got the text up on the screen. You know, I think one thing we need to appreciate is that the, the New Testament really is filled with explicit Old Testament references and prophecies fulfilled, but also just uh, things that aren't always obvious. But in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel's a prophet. He's prophesying... Um, about exile, and he looks forward to this day when there's going to be a new covenant, a new day. Israel's going to be restored, and we know as Christians that that is describing what we experience now in the church and what Jesus did uh, in, in bringing restoration. But here, this is the language he uses. He says, I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. Left for our own devices, we become impure, we follow idols, and when we do that, our lives become a tangled mess. But he says, I will give you a new heart. It wasn't just an amended heart. It wasn't just a bypass surgery. He says, you need a heart transplant. You need something completely new. And you can't have that without me. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. I believe this text is in the background of what we're reading here in Titus chapter 3 when it talks about this washing of regeneration. What do you see here that relates to washing? Yeah. Pretty, pretty, yeah. I'm going to sprinkle, I'm going to cleanse you, I'm going to sprinkle water on you. Um, this uh, washing of regeneration, this renewal by the Holy Spirit uh, has, has this in mind. And so this was something that was always in God's plan, that he would act in this way on behalf of his people. All right, so for we too were once these things, just to remind us of that list. But now we've been justified by grace, and we've become heirs with the hope of eternal life. So there's a, lot, there's a lot of really neat things going on here, which unfortunately we don't have a ton of time to, to dive into every one of them. But I just called out a few things. Like, here's the reason. Like, why were we, why were we washed from these things? What, is, what does Paul say here is the reason? So, why, why, so, he, so, that, so that, that phrase, so that, anytime you see that word or something like that in the Bible, you know, you kind of want to circle that because that hinges what just was said before to what's going to come after. He says, this thing happened, and he's saying, here's the reason it happened. So that what? We were washed, regenerated, why? Yeah, so that we become, we're justified by grace, that we may become heirs. What's it mean to be an heir? Yeah, someone who inherits something. And here the implication is somebody inherits something just incredible, incredible riches. The pearl of great price, if you will. Um, it's worth trading everything in the world for. So he's telling him, look, you need to dig your heels in on this. Like, you need to take this seriously. This isn't just kind of some optional thing. He says, I want you to insist on this. Why? There's, our, there's a second so that. So insist on this thing, uh, Titus, why? Like, what's the ultimate goal? What's the action that Paul expects from this? Yeah. So that the people of God, those who believe God, might be careful, conscientious to do good works, to devote themselves to good works that are good and profitable for everyone. Again, we ask, how do you be a godly person in what is kind of a, a, an ungodly world or an ungodly uh, sphere, you know, and Maybe you can think of spheres of your life that are more godly than others or less godly than others. Maybe at work you struggle with, you know, just seems like things are wicked around you. Or maybe that's school for you. Or maybe it's just your peer group. Or maybe you're in your family. You don't know what that is. But he says, double down on these things because this is how God's people learn to be careful to devote themselves to good works that are good and profitable for everyone. All right, so just to summarize what's going on here in Titus 3, 1 through 8. We are saved from our selfish ways according to God's mercy, not our works. Why is that important? We can't earn it. And what, would we, what might we think if we thought we earned it? We get credit for it. How might that affect the way we relate to other people? If we think, we're, you know, we think we've earned this superiority, superiority 
Um, maybe we feel like we have the right to, to speak condescendingly to other people. You know, I have in mind kind of what a lot of the Pharisaical system had become. Uh, Pharisees in and of themselves weren't necessarily bad, but they had become, a lot of them had become something where they kind of thought this, right? They thought, oh, look, you know, God, I'm so grateful you didn't make me like the Gentile. They looked down their nose at people, and they were so offended when Jesus would reach out to that class of people. So that's important that, that, that we make that distinction and be reminded of that. By the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, in, in, you know, I think this probably is a, a pretty strong reference to baptism, that this is the point at which this happens and the, 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 the Spirit is acting in this, uh, in this act of submission, but it's God's work in us. which was poured out through Jesus Christ so that we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life, then, it's like, all right, that's the, the basis. Now, then, now that we're justified by grace, we are to be devoted to doing good. That's what Christians are called to do, right? We're called to be devoted to good works. I promise I'm pressing the button. Yep, there we go. For the benefit of all. For the benefit of all. It's not just to benefit me. It's not just to benefit people in the church. It's to benefit the world. Everybody. Like this gift isn't meant to be hidden. It's meant to be shared. To be a beacon of light for everybody. Which requires us to make it manifest. To display these acts of kindness. So you see this amazing before and after picture. Uh, here's what we were before. You were all these things. But the cross changed all of it. It created a new identity in you. You're something completely new and different. You have a new heart. You're justified. And now, you're somebody who's not disobedient, but you're ready for good works. And guess what? A part, and part and parcel of that is do not slander. Don't fight and argue. Be kind. Show gentleness to people. That's a tall order because it's not always easy. It's not always easy to do. So if you remember nothing else from this um, tonight, this is kind of the, the takeaway. Here's where the rubber hits the road. I want you for a moment to think about the people in your life that are difficult, that you find it difficult to be kind to, that you find it difficult to be gentle to. And sometimes those people are the ones that are closest to us, right? Sometimes they have that ability due to proximity and familiarity that, you know, sometimes that person just becomes um, these things to you, or at least you see these things more in that person. When we see these things in others, we are called as Christians, as hard as it might be, to show kindness the kind of kindness that God shows to us. Because we see our former selves in them, or we should. We know that God was kind. Somebody was kind to us that brought us to Christ, <clears throat> even though we may be embodied these things. We are grace-justified people who believe in the power of Jesus Christ to transform. Just like we can't save ourselves, we cannot be kind like God calls us to without the power of God. We have to lean on God to be this kind of kind because naturally we don't do this, right? Maybe some of us do. It's hard for me naturally to do this just on my own. I have to lean into the grace of God and 
be uh, really committed and uh, really believe these things for me to extend that kindness. And we, ha- we have to lean on God to do that. The good news is that God gives us the ability and motivation to be big-hearted people in what can be a very heartless world. So, uh, questions I like to ask sometimes at the end of a Bible class, or at least at the end of a text, and we're not going to open it up to, to, to questions or anything tonight, but I do like to ask this question for the group. What does this text tell us about God? What do we learn about God? He's merciful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's merciful. You know, we, that's a, that's, I mean, the whole basis of this is like, you were these things. He still was kind to you. He still loved you. He still saved you. Um, he is a merciful God. What else? He won't leave us. He's utterly faithful to that commitment. What else? What else do you see in here? Mm-hmm. Long-suffering and patient. Long-suffering and patient. I think about the book of Hosea, where Israel is depicted as this unfaithful spouse, and yet God comes back again and again and again and is utterly faithful, even when his people are unfaithful. What else? He'll give us eternal life. Yes. He can reach us in our sin. Mm-hmm. He can reach us in our sin. Um, he's promised to reach us in our sin. He's dealt with that in Jesus on the cross. Good. Those are the things that God, God has done. That's, that's his nature. What do we learn about what God wants us to do as a result of what he's done for us here? Do it to others. Bring this great news, these wonderful things that God has done into the, into the bush, into the neighborhoods, into uh, the middle-class neighborhoods, the upper-income neighborhoods, the projects. Like, bring it everywhere. Tell everybody about this. It's going to be hard. It's going to be messy. Be kind in this. Be gentle in this, because God forgave you. The least we can do is show that same patience and kindness to others. All right, what do we learn about people? Like, why do you think it is that Paul has to tell Titus these things? Why does he have to remind us to be kind? and to be gentle, and remind us that God's mission is bigger than just saving me. Because we're human, we're selfish. Mm-hmm. So we kind of, that's, that's, that's a big word, that's a, that's a high dollar word, I, I can't pronounce that one. Um, we, we don't naturally tend towards this, right? Like God issues correction and has to remind us of things that we tend away from. Like, if we had no problem with this, God probably wouldn't have to tell us to do it, right? What else do we learn about people from this? What do we learn about ourselves? Mm -hmm. Our tendencies to react in kind. So if someone treats us ill or is disrespectful towards us, we tend to want to just... Yeah, equal, equal or opposite, in opposite force, right? Retaliate. So how does this help us to respond in kindness and gentleness? 
gives us a blueprint. Yeah. What's that? It leads to eternal life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. All right. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I hope that um, our study tonight has been something that has maybe reminded us of something we've already known, or maybe that tonight this is something you needed to hear. Uh, maybe you've been struggling with uh, this area, and you know you, this is this is helpful. Hopefully, no matter what stage or how you're hearing this or what you're taking away from this, that uh, we can all say that we are a little bit more transformed into the image of Christ as a result of being together tonight and studying His Word. These things that He would have us to know through His inspired text. So, before we kind of wrap up in just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a, a word of prayer, and then uh, this this piece of the Bible study will be done. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you for your kindness, your everlasting patience with us. God, your forbearance with us in our sin. God, even when we were ungodly, turning away from you, living rebellious, you still pursued us. You were utterly faithful to your covenant. You love us. While we were ungodly, you sent your son Jesus to die for us on the cross. We didn't earn any part of that. We didn't earn our salvation in any way. Father, Father, we were utterly unworthy, but yet you still sent your son. You still had him suffer shame and agony on the cross so that we may have life, so that we could be changed, so that we could be healed from the curse of sin and bring, be agents of that healing in this world. And God, for that, we're honored. Help us to bear that charge well. Help us to wear the name of Christ with honor and dignity as we go out in the world. Help us to be kind and gentle when it's difficult. And when it is difficult, help our eyes and our hearts to be fixated on the cross and be reminded of how good you are to us and how gentle and kind you were to us, even in our sin and our selfishness, our foolishness, our disobedience, our malice. Help us to be reminded of that and to encourage one another to go forth and be a light that glorifies you, that loves uh, the brotherhood here and that blesses the world. Be with us in the rest of our time tonight as we worship you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.